What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. My guest today is Rachel Branke, and she is one of us. She's a lawyer, but she's one of us. She's a content creator. She's a podcaster. She's been featured in Forbes, and she is an, a lawyer to entrepreneurs, specifically with intellectual property. Oh, I forgot to mention, she's also all over TikTok. It's pretty ridiculous. But I found her on Twitter and needed to make sure I got her on the podcast because as you all know, at some point you will need legal help, whether it's forming the right entity, whether it's for employee contracts, whether it's for terms and conditions in your proposal. She brings it. It's incredibly useful information. Do not skimp on this episode whatsoever and definitely let me know your thoughts. And this episode is brought to you by Rich Cardona Media, where we film, edit, and distribute social media content for you. So you don't have to do anything. We have a very specific emphasis on LinkedIn, which is where I built the back of this business. So definitely reach out if you want to inquire. Uh, Eliza, E-L-I-Z-A, at richcardonamedia.com, or Rich, me, uh, rich at richcardonamedia.com, and we can have a chat. Thank you, everyone, for all your support, and here we go. The first thing we absolutely need to cover is the fact that you know entrepreneurs very well because you are one yourself. And because you help entrepreneurs in a place that we need your help desperately, but you also are one, how would you describe the life of an entrepreneur if, if you can do so? Fluid, um, and which I think is so funny, especially if you're military connected, veteran, spouse, or dependent, you are, that is like the name of the game. Like being fluid and pivoting is so important, especially in entrepreneurship. And I just describe it for myself is that I'm in the trenches with y'all. So I'm not this lawyer, not this business strategist sitting in my ivory tower with my degrees on the wall saying, this is what you need to do because I learned about it in school. No, the majority of what I learned has actually been through my own experiences of running multiple businesses outside of just a law firm, which I do still have. But yeah, I just think it's so funny when I was going through grad school, I was like, Oh, this, all this theory doesn't make much sense. And once I got out and was in entrepreneurship, I'm like, Oh, now I get it. So that's the approach I try to give. I feel the same way. I, I got an MBA and while I was getting it before I was an entrepreneur, I just, I, I, I felt like I needed an MBA for a job, a good job that mm-hmm. happened. But once I became an entrepreneur, I was like, Oh my Lord, like now some of these things make sense and I wish I actually gave a shit, but oh well. So, um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk pre-entrepreneurship. I am, uh, my name is Stacy and I am a spouse or a transitioning service member. I have had this idea to make uh, dog Disneyland, or I'm just trying to think of something random. You just like targeted all my favorite things, Disney and dogs and all right. coffee and we're there or potential claims and all that sort of stuff. So we got the liability aspect, but the other side of it, which I really love because I dig in really deep in intellectual property is the development and protection of the brand. Well, obviously we're going to have to have all these other ideas, Stacy, before we can even get to that step. You're going to have to tell me what the product is. You need to look at how you're going to source it because you don't want to invest all this time and money in setting up a company or setting up an entity like an LLC or a corporation. And then all this money in trying to trademark or potentially patent if you have a specific product and then realize 
there's not an opportunity in the market. So that's why we start with all of that first, the business planning. And like I said, it doesn't have to be like a crazy plan. Simply, you tell me doggy Disneyland, I'm going to ask questions or you can present to me. Here's the plan. Here's the products. Here's what the offerings are going to be. Boom. And then once you get to that point, that's when you really should start looking at the legal stuff because you don't want to launch and then talk to legal. One of the top things that we see many entrepreneurs do many, many, it's not just confined to those military connected besides the liability aspect, they just choose a name. So if I did doggy Disneyland, you're going to be infringing upon Disney's trademark. What does that mean? You may owe them profits. If you have any, you're going to have to rebrand. Like it's a whole thing. So in sum, Get the business stuff in order, get the plans, and then come to me and we'll talk about personal liability, division of assets, as well as the intellectual property setup moving forward, which is the foundation of your brand. That's really interesting because you're literally flushing out the idea and not just doing the legal aspect. Like because you're an entrepreneur, you're like this, I I could just imagine, I can't imagine, but if I were you, I'd be like, oh, this is never going to (laughs) work. Like, why are we even talking right now? Or this is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just interesting aspect. You mentioned an LLC versus corporation and there's nonprofits. There's all kinds of things out there. Let's just assume uh, there's business owners who, who are future business owners who want to start a new t-shirt company, a new, I'm going to stick with dogs, dog walking service, anything like that. How do you even know, how do you guide people through that to, to where they understand what the, the different potential business ownership pieces look like? So often, just like what we talked about, I need to know like what your plans are, what you're going to do is, are you going to have a spouse or a partner involved? Do you long-term want to have investors? Do you want to one day sell it off and all of this? And you know, there's three main structures. You talk about nonprofit, but I'm really thinking more for-profit entrepreneurship aspirations right now. So you have a sole proprietor. That's when you don't do anything. I see a lot of military spouses, particularly, or those are getting ready to transition because they, they may not have the money or the know-how to even set up an LLC or corporation, but they set up what's called a sole proprietorship, whether you even realize it just by acting in business, putting up that Disney daycare or whatever, Mm -hmm. or a t-shirt shop. And we talked about a little bit ago, potential personal liability. Think of it like a bucket. You have one bucket when you're a sole proprietorship, all your personal assets, all your business assets, and all your spouse's assets and everything are in there as well. So when I look at people at a minimum, we want to look at a limited liability company or LLC structure here in the US. And what that does, as well as a corporation, it divides two buckets. So all your personal is in one bucket and all of your business assets are in another and there's a division. So if there's ever a problem, you can just hand it, you know, hopefully yeah. all of your business assets are going to be touched. And that's huge. Like we mentioned earlier, if you're, if you have a security clearance, if you're married to someone that has a security clearance to some sort of sensitive job, you want to make sure that you insulate them from any liability of what you're doing as well. So we want to do that upfront. LLCs are, one of the most common, especially in working with solo entrepreneur types, you don't really anticipate on having partners or investors. If you do have that long-term plan, I would look towards a corporation structure. It's a little bit more administrative work and a little bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but it again goes right back to what we talked about. It's going to be all about what your long-term plan is, but it's important to know, don't feel like, Oh my God, I don't know what to choose. I don't know what my plan is. We can always change it. That's yeah. what I'm for. That's what business lawyers are for. So even if you get into the quote unquote wrong one, you know, we can always adjust it in the future. Okay. Now, Stacy, before she has her big aspirations of doggy Disney World, she's like, I'm just going to make sure I actually get along with other dogs besides my own who love me to death. I'm going to start a dog walking service here in the neighborhood and people want to hire me. What do 
proposals and contracts look like for new business owners or freelancers or whatever? Like what should they include? And then second and more importantly, I think is how, how in depth should they be to where you don't scare off anyone because you're just starting out and trying to get something going. Right. Well, first thing I would say off the bat is that contracts are professional. You know, if you're providing a professional type service, and I don't mean like lawyer, doctor, CPA, but if you are a professional and you're wanting to do this for a business, you should have a contract. Even down to the people that come clean my house, they didn't have a contract. And I was like, Julie, we got to talk about this. You know, <laughs> do you know who I am? I'm yeah, a lawyer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then she Googles and goes, oh, yeah. But we have to, you have to understand that contracts also set expectations and they communicate because really legal issues that arise aren't so much that you specifically did something. Maybe you just intentionally didn't show up to walk my dog and you're laying on the couch eating bonbons. That's hardly not the case when there's a legal problem. It's often miscommunication. So contracts really boil it all down into one document to make sure both of y'all are on the same page. It outlines who's responsible for what. Stacy, what services are you going to provide? Rachel, as you know, Stacy's going to walk my dog. What does Rachel have to provide? Payment, right? And we're going to go through the structure of the rules and responsibilities that regulates that relationship. I get to know how many times a week and when she's going to come to get my dog. So what do I need to do to have the dogs prepared to be walked? And those sort of things, just so everything is crisp, easy, and clear, especially if we have a problem. But really the goal with contracts is to be professional, set expectations, be clear in communication, and set it up so if there's ever a problem, you have a fallback on. And another little add-on to this, and I see this a lot, and this isn't really a legal thing, but I see it a lot with entrepreneurs, especially Stacy and those that are just starting out, or even me. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I still sometimes am afraid to tell a client no. What is the great thing about a contract? Think of the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. You know, oh he's, God, are you serious? That's one of my favorite movies ever. Oh my Lord. <laughs> and he's fighting, right? And he gets pulled over and he's going like a hundred, whatever. And he gets pulled over for speeding. And of course the cop asks, well, do you know why I pulled you over? Depends and on goes, how long you were following me. No, but he goes, yes. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs do that. They want to tell a client no. So like in the structure with Stacy walking my dog, maybe I'll say, hey, Stacy, can you just throw in an extra dog walk this week? Well, if it's in the contract and she doesn't have time, it'd be easier for her to say, well, you know, we're only contracted for X, but it also provides a foundation for Stacy to go, oh, well, you know, in the contract, it shows extra walkings are X amount of dollars. And it kind of provides this buffer and backbone for you as the entrepreneur to make you not be like the no man so much the contract does it for you. Yeah. And because a lot of times you're gun shy about saying no, because you're afraid of rejection, failure, and upset client or losing business. And so I just want you guys to reframe your mind, think about contracts in that way. But as far as what is included, we've already given kind of a high level checklist. I think what is important is we don't have to have these crazy legalese. There are some fundamental legal miscellany that we need to have in there, like a dispute resolution. What happens if there's a problem? Where are we going to resolve it? Are we going to allow you to go to court? Are we going to do mediation or arbitration? And that's going to be state dependent. Other things like an attorney's fees provision for prevailing parties. This is huge. And if you guys take nothing else away from this entire podcast, <laughs> because I always say you never have an issue until you have an issue. And it's so true. I see people who want to write their own contracts or just pick one off the internet or they don't use one at all. And they end up having to take a client to court or you end up getting taken to court 
there's this idea that, well, whoever wins in court automatically gets the attorney's fees paid by the loser. That's not true. In the United mm. States, it either needs to be contracted with, so it has to be in that contract for services or products that you guys have, or has to be some sort of act they had to violate some statute of law, which a normal breach of contract case may not ever have that. Um, I, I have a classic example of this. I had a professional services like plumber, electrician, I don't want to be too identifying because he's mm -hmm. kind of in the community, come to me in January of last year and was like, hey, I self-drafted this contract. Will you review it? How much is it going to be? And it was pretty bad. So I said, well, it's probably taking me about $800, a couple hours worth of work. Oh, no, I don't want to pay for that. Fast forward eight months, his client is suing him. He was still in the right. And this is one thing everyone needs to understand. Even if you're in the right, if someone sues you, you still have to show up to court to show the court I did right. And he didn't have attorney's fees provision. So what happened? He ended up having to pay all his attorney's fees for me. And then in the end, still pay the $800 to get the contract fixed moving forward. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like... I cannot even like this gives me anxiety just thinking about it and like listening like I trust me I just dealt with a legal issue um, and it, it was not not related to business just something I bought and then I saw uh, a little bit of what was actually going on and I was like I'm out and they're like absolutely not and and worked it out uh, but the whole thing was so unbelievably just exhausting emotionally uh, so just listening to that like gets me riled up a little bit so how about you, you, you mentioned the contracts, but one question I got uh, as I prepared for this from someone was, how can you really structure it though to the point where it doesn't actually hurt the person from signing? Because there may be people who don't want to do the due diligence and just, like read all this. And maybe it is, is exactly what you said. There's nothing absolutely crazy in there. It's actually very well done. It's done by a lawyer. It protects you. It says what you do, what you don't do. The scope of work is outlined. Resolution is outlined. But when is it too much? Like, how do you frame it to where the person is not going to be like, you know what? Never mind. And there you are just like, I, I had them and now I don't. You mean as far as they're just not willing to sign it or they read it and then don't even, or they don't read it. They just sign it and don't pay attention. No, to it. no. They, they read it and they're just like, this is crazy. What is all this? I thought you were just going to walk my dog. Um, well, so here's the thing. I have three dogs. I love dogs. I actually have a nonprofit that seeks to raise money to, we're working on lobbying, um, change for animal cruelty because my yes. dog was a couple years ago. So mm. I love dogs. Yes. So in that kind of case, if you, and I understand I'm different than most, but if you didn't present me with some outline, it could be even just an, a quick outline on a Microsoft Word document that you printed out that I signed. It's some side of outline to, so that I would know, like if I'm commuting to work, that I want to be sure you're going to show up to take my dog out to walk or to mm. attend to my dog. Or I know how you're going to handle if they get into a scuffle at the dog park and all of this. I'm not going to hire you. And so I also like contracts in that they are qualifiers for what type of client or customer do you want to have? And yes. it's going to depend upon who that ideal avatar is. You know, there, if you're catering to those that is high volume, low dollar, but it's a lot more removed from liability, you may not need as much or any really in a contract. You know, if I have an online t-shirt store, there's probably not a lot of liability there. But if you're coming and taking care of my baby, walking <laughs> him, I want to be secure to know that he's being taken care of because I'm not going to know until I come home that night and he'll have been inside all day and that sort of thing. And I need to know what if something happens to him, do I have recourse against you? And without contracts, it's a mess. Um, 
And, and I just, a couple of things on this. The reason I bring up all of this, and it's not because I'm an attorney, it's because I'm an entrepreneur. And even as a lawyer myself, I would rather spend my time developing my brand, putting out content and getting to know my audience than I would be having to clean up messes later on. Yes. That example of the guy that I gave you, he is the president of the company. He had to spend so many hours with me, which is fine, right? But had to spend so many hours with me on the phone and preparing for court and becoming an expert witness for himself and all of this, rather than working on the marketing aspect of his business. And it's all about prevention. That's the biggest thing here is we're trying to prevent issues as much as possible. So if you sit down though, and you see that, all right, I have this contract, I'm pretty good with it, but maybe my ideal or maybe my customer or client doesn't want to sign it. Don't just automatically go, well, I heard Rachel on Rich's podcast and she said, use it as a qualifier. It's a learning process. Like contracts should not be a one and done. They should evolve with your business, but you also have to listen to what your customers or clients, potential clients or customers are asking. Is there wording that's confusing? Is there stuff that is a trip up? Because hardly ever is it because you presented a contract. Sometimes it's very specific things that are in there and you just have to be equipped with, do I want to be a yes man or no man here? Do I want to bend this or not? Or maybe there's some value to what this customer is saying. Maybe there is something I'm willing to bend on this because they're my client avatar for like 99%. Am I willing mm -hmm. to give up this 1%? And then you can make that educated decision. Got it. If, if we're talking now about getting help, which I always, I try and at least advocate, like if you, the minute you, the first thing you need to do is become profitable. The minute you're profitable, hire help. Don't pay yourself a ton of money or anything like that. Which brings me to you uh, and I did not schedule this podcast personally. You had someone help you because you have help with all your administrative things. I have similar help. I have people who help me on video and editing and all this. So whether they're uh, an employee, 1099, whatever it may be, can you please talk to me about terms and conditions for those? Because again, especially on the freelance side, it can be very easy. Like, hey, I need you for 10 hours a week. You'll make these videos and whatever. And I just want to give a little bit of my personal experience. Sometimes the performance does not merit the pay. And I'm just like, this is fucking bullshit. Uh, yeah. Like, what, what, what is this product? And then that person has to go back and, and, and get up to speed or I have to spend more time coaching them. And then mm -hmm. I'm just like, this is actually a waste of money. And no, I can't pay you for those hours. At least in my head, I think that. So what do you, what do you, guidance do you have in, in terms of terms and conditions for someone who's going to help you, whether they're 1099 or employee or whatever it may be, what should be outlined specifically as a new entrepreneur? Right. And so, you know, and this is, this is a hard conversation. I feel like we could almost do an entire podcast on this alone. So I'll just kind of get, kind of give the high level. If you guys have further questions, please feel free to reach out. I'm active on Twitter. I can get you resources, et cetera. Um, but it's not enough just to call someone an employee or an independent contractor. It's how you treat them. And the IRS has a test and all states have also adopted this. It's more of like control, right? It's not as simply me saying, okay, Rich, I'm giving you a 1099 so you work for me. But if I sit here and dictate to you every single day, what time you have to show up, how, what you have to wear, when you have to work, how you're going to do it, like, like super controlled, you're more likely to be considered an employee. And this is, if you guys have seen the big mess that happened this year in 2020 for California, they're trying to protect these freelancers from being abused and used like employees. So just make sure that you're statusing them correctly and watch if they come to you as a 1099 upfront, 
but then you start giving them more responsibility and have more control. You need to do your own internal evals or talk to your attorney and say, okay, is it time for me to transfer them to an employee? Because mm -hmm. you don't want an issue to happen because you never have an issue. So you have an issue. And if you haven't been paying the right taxes, if you haven't given the right benefits to that freelancer, and it is found in the end that they're actually an employee because you have so much control under this control factor test, you could get a lot of trouble with the state, back taxes, all this thing, right? So identifying the status is the first thing. Yep. Next, obviously, is going to be contracts, terms, and conditions. No matter if they're an employee or an independent contractor, for me, I think you need to have a main services agreement that outlines the basics. What are they going to do? How are they going to get compensated? Whether like on a 1099, is it by job? You know, like for example, what the situation you're talking about is often what I recommend to people in the very beginning is don't pay someone hourly until you know the quality of their product. So tell them this job's going to be X amount because no matter how many hours it takes them to do that and how many revisions, which should be in the services contract, they have to keep going back to that and it helps to manage your budget a little bit more. If you're looking at hiring someone as a W-2, I would also encourage to have a trial period in there as well. And that's not as clear cut because you still have to pay the salary based on the hours they work. W-2 type employees are super protected. So main services agreement that you're going to have, whether it's with W-2 or 1099. And the, there's a couple other documents that I think you should have just because I'm an intellectual property attorney. Yes. I want you guys to protect your brands and your content that you put out there. You probably have a logo. You probably have headshots. You probably have photos you're putting on your Instagram and your website and all of this. And so for me, anybody who works for me, whether they are on Upwork, they're an independent contractor from down the street, or they're a W-2, they all sign what's called an intellectual property acknowledgement, acknowledging that I own, my company owns all of what they created. Because by default, unless they're a W-2 employee, when I still want to CYA, so I go ahead and have that document from yep. W2 to sign to 1099s by default own that intellectual property. Let me give you the most classic example. Yeah. Probably logged onto Fiverr or onto Upwork or had the friend from high school down the street create your logo for you. No contract, no nothing. All you have is a license to use. That logo creator in the United States has all the copyrights and ownership in that design. All you have, unless you contractually agree to it, had it transfer, such as through intellectual property acknowledgement or in your services contract, it's owned by them. What does that mean? Well, I go, Stacy has created this logo for me. I didn't, I paid her, great. So I only have a license to use it. I go to get it trademarked. If I try to tell the trademark office, yes, I have all the rights to this logo, that's perjury and fraud on the office because I don't have all the rights. I only have licensing of use. Second thing, what if Stacy decides she wants to turn around and license that logo to other people? I don't have brand management at that point. And lastly, Stacy could stop me from using the logo at any time. And then I would have to rebrand because she can revoke her, the license of the logo. Substitute, <laughs> oh, photos, substitute website content, substitute social media content, courses, product labeling, whatever it is. It's a mess. So yeah. what's online? Own it. <laughs> and get it done by contract and then protect it as much as you can with the tools like copyright and trademark that are available. And oh. yeah, so <laughs> clearly we'll be having a conversation after the podcast. <laughs> um, don't, don't freak out if y'all are like, oh my gosh. But the big thing is don't rely on Upwork terms, don't rely on Fiverr terms. Even when I hire someone on Upwork, I clearly put in the job description that they're gonna have to sign that. 
So just to recap real quick, we're in the main services agreement. We're going to have an intellectual property acknowledgement. And then for those that are going to have access to like my customer um, information that are working intimately in my audience, et cetera, I want to have confidentiality and um, non-solicitation, right? So it's not a non-compete, although it can fall into the non-compete category in some states. It's really just, it's not confining that freelancer who came to work for me from going out and doing the same thing as me, but it's confining them from taking and poaching my list or reaching out to my list uh, of like my clients and such. So they can still go do the business activity. They could turn around and also open up another dog walking service in town, but I'm stopping them from taking my client list that I've cultivated um, and using that. And then of course, non-competes are typically confined to W2 employees. Courts are not a big fan of them. They have to be really narrowly tailored in that specific by state. But if you can do it, get one there. Get, get one in if you can, because it's another measure of protection. You can always release someone from a non-compete, but you can't have them sign one really after the fact. They're not going to yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, where does an NDA fall into that? If someone has been working with me, they've had access to my Google Drive, they know the business model and all these other things, and I don't want them to go discuss it with anyone else. Is, uh, is that included in there as well? Yeah, so I dropped the term confidentiality. I often don't like to put the term NDA because here's one of the problems is that when we use these overarching terms, it's, they're not all structured. It's not like in law school, they say your, con your NDA must have these points and that's it. NDAs are all over the place. You know, they can be limited in scope, expanded, et cetera. So I said confidentiality because we want to gate that. It's a tr there's trade secrets you're also going to learn by working with me. You know, there's proprietary stuff. There's, um, like you mentioned, the customer list and all of that. I put that, I said that it's confidential. You could call it a non-disclosure. Typically, for me, NDAs are more of if I'm coming to pitch to you a new product that I want to do and maybe we can partner up together and I don't want you releasing it. Um, it it's just a header. Yeah, they, they can be, they can be um, what's the word I'm looking for? Substituted for one another. It's really all about what the content in the, actual document is. So by the way, when I'm sitting here and saying these high arching terms, if you're making outline, if you go to an attorney, especially one who's not an intellectual property, and you say, I need intellectual property acknowledgement, they're going to go, I don't know what you're talking about, because that's what we have identified ours. And that's how we draft ours. Got it. You might know, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, a question I got, uh, and I, I was texting a couple people prior to this, and it says, uh, one of the questions I got was, where does good faith come into play if you can't predict or foresee challenges? And here's an example. I could give you an example, a personal example. Um, have a contract with, uh, we were vendors uh, for a company. COVID came. Rich, we're going through all these problems. I'm like, we love you guys so much. Like, don't worry about it. We're like, no invoices for the next two months. Like, we, we want to help you as much as possible. We don't want to interrupt your marketing or your video branding and all these other things. Two months goes along and they're just like, see you later. You know, it's been real. Thanks a lot. Um, so good faith. Uh, can you talk to me about how it plays out on both sides in, in, in that? And if you're trying to just be generous in unforeseeable situations. I mean, so the way I look at it is also ask, what is your motivation? I mean, if you're truly just wanting to give to give, don't expect in return, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're really wanting to say, okay, I'm going to give them two months of this free content. We're going to keep their branding going. You might want to consider doing an addendum or an extension of the contract to mm -hmm. be compensated on the other side so they can't just peace out, like you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. 
No. So it kind of really depends. Um, it, here's, I think here's what the most important thing that I want to say about contracts and just in business in general, we put all these legal tools in place to set a bar. You can always go above and beyond, but you can't take away. Mm. So I may have a contract that says, Oh, I'm only going to give you three trademarks for this amount of money. Right. But what if they come back and go, Oh, Rachel, I have this really great idea. We just pumped it out. We need to get a fourth one in. If they're a really good client, I might be like, all right, we'll just throw in the fourth, you know, mm -hmm. for will because I know they'll end up coming back. But if they then take it and run and peace out, well, then I've learned my lesson for the future. But if I'm really wanting to make sure that they're going to extend and stay on, I would have them sign, you know, um, an addendum or a new contract for whatever it is that you're providing. I think it's hard in business because you should be able to offer customer service. So that's one of the things that I recommend to my clients when we work through contracts, we get the legal protection aspect, but then we also talk about, and I hinted at this earlier, what am I willing to give up and be flexible on in my contract? Mm -hmm. What I was getting at was the customer service aspect. Like yes. you talked about, you know, you probably could have legally not provided them the service, but I tell everyone to sit down and look at the contract and internally make notes, don't show the client, but what you're willing to budge on, what you're willing to be flexible on for goodwill and customer service. But again, if it's something that I'd rather be methodical, nothing wrong with that. If you want to be legally protected, do nothing wrong. Just get it in writing. Got it. Another question I have here. Thank you for that. Another question I have here is, have you ever, and this is interesting, have you ever worked collaboratively with a business consultant in a startup environment? And what does a full circle protecting planning and business strategy engagement look like from your oh. perspective? Uh, I don't know if you need me to repeat that, but uh, yeah. So what we are talking about, is, it can be used for startups. So when I'm talking copyright trademark, I, and you asked me this earlier, I, I should have shortened the timeline. You know, I said, oh, get your other stuff under control all the legal stuff that you can have taken care of, get that taken care of once you hit market or right when you're about to. Like, don't wait for a year down the line and all of a sudden have a problem because that's when you're going to spend a lot more time, money, and energy. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, you're going to spend a lot more time talking to me than working on your business. So a full service plan is really a lot of what we talked about here. It's funny, you've been leading me, I don't know if you downloaded my checklist, but you've been leading me almost in the entire workflow process of what we do when we talk to our clients. We talk about their business plan, their business name, what their products and services are, getting their entity set up, their contracts, the intellectual property protections. And as we've seen, that also has the conversation of, do I have 1099s or W2s? Um, I, don't, I hope that answered the question, but mm -hmm. this really is full, that is the high level view of full service. That is the structure for most businesses. It's going to vary if you're in a specific industry. Maybe you offer plumbing services. We're going to have to do um, specific guidance to you on complying with different labor board and OSHA type regulations and that kind of stuff. But what I've provided here so far really is like the full view, high level full view, uh, whether you're a new entrepreneur or you're just wanting to run through your business audit, which you should be doing every year because things have changed, your liability increases, you want to make sure that your contracts are fine-tuned, that your structure is giving you the best benefit. So do it routinely. Do this whole like analysis routinely. Love it. And then uh, just a couple more. And this one, I, I, I don't even know if I'm phrasing this right. If you can try and wear more of your entrepreneurial hat than your lawyer hat, if that even <laughs> freaking makes sense. Yeah. Um, you now have clients. Um, I have a dog walking business. It's going fantastic. But you know what? Uh, one of the dog owners 
checks me out too much uh, or one of them isn't polite to me or one of them is just whatever. They're just a pain in the ass. They text me randomly and say, hey, are you available? Like so-and-so really? And you're like, what's going on? So I'm pointing out just kind of a nightmare client potentially. What do you include to alleviate yourself of walking away from that without violating anything either? And I'll just say for, I think, I think we have something like we have the right to terminate a contract at any point or for any time or anything like that. But from the entrepreneurial side, what advice would you give in terms of dealing with bad clients and trying to just keep the business going versus being like, peace? So sometimes those type of individuals that we have pegged as bad clients, they're not intentionally bad. Mm -hmm. You as the entrepreneur haven't set the structure. So the dog walking thing, you haven't set to tell me when you're going to come, how long the walk's going to be for and how many times a week. So me as this potential, I'm going to sound like a bad nagging client. I'm going to be texting you. Hey, Stacy, when are you coming today? Stacy, are you coming to walk felony today? But if you had told me you'll be there at three, then I am confident that you'll show up. So that's one side. Often I don't think like it's an intentional bad. Sure. Um, as long as you have put the structures in place and provided the information up front. Where the other side, sometimes you just get the pain in the ass. It just happens. No matter how much you fine tune your marketing message, you qualify them through contracts in an interview or discovery, it doesn't matter. It happens. And that's where you're going to fall on the legal protections and how much you're willing to put up with. You know, everyone money is green, but I'm not going to be abused. You know, if you're just annoying because that's your personality type, okay, fine. I might charge you more on the next round, like a pain in the ass tax. But if you're like being gross, checking me out, making nasty comments, I'm going to rely on my contract that allows me to cancel because I was smart and put that in there to cancel at any time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then we have the far end of the spectrum. If you're in put in situations that are illegal, dangerous, et cetera, don't sit there and go, oh my God, my contract says I have to go walk Mr. Jones, the pervert of the neighborhood's dog today. You know, you have a potential defense for um, non-performance of the contract, right? You know, you, if he's doing illegal stuff, if he's assaulting you, all this sort of thing. So from that's the legal side, but also from an entrepreneurship side, I'm going to make sure I set up the communications and I make sure that my legal stuff's in place so that I can pull the record if I need to which I think, and we've especially seen this during COVID, especially important because a lot of people were stuck in these agreements with one another, but there was no money to exchange, but you're stuck. And because they didn't draft it properly, so always have an escape plan in your agreements and or your business policies. Um, yeah. Okay. And the last two questions are, are fun questions. Um, tell me about the first couple of TikToks you made and then why you're like, <laughs> And then why you're like, I'm going ham on this because I think I could make a name as a lawyer, which I think is brilliant, by the way. Okay. So, well, first of all, I'm not your typical attorney. I mean, I'm a big, I have a nose ring on. <laughs> Normally I'm in workout clothes. I did get dressed a little bit today for you, but <laughs> I, I work with creatives and entrepreneurs. So I don't wear a stuffy suit all the time. I'll wear a suit jacket if I have to go to court. Ugh. You know, our goal is to not have to go. So for me, TikTok, if you can tell like my personality and I'm not as loose as I normally could be in my conversation and my <laughs> cursing, but TikTok just fits my personality and it provides me an avenue to display that. So I'm not using it so much to garner new clients, but it's connecting with my existing clients, you know, that I may not talk to on a regular basis because we have a lot of clients who are on like a business retainer that they can cut to the front of the line if they have a problem, they don't have to worry about going on our wait list. 
and it's keeping me engaged in front of them so they feel a reconnection with me they remember how fun it was despite them having to pay my bills how mm -hmm. fun it was when we worked together how we laughed and so that for me is what TikTok really was for was to keep that connection and show my brand and my personality I love it well I'm, I'm I I was just started following you right before this and I was like this is ridiculous some of this stuff was very funny and I also don't want to get sucked back into that platform, although I love it so much. Um, my, my kids are beside themselves. Like my 15-year-old was like, my friend saw you on TikTok. You got to stop that. And I was like, I'm going to record two more TikToks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I've seen that so many times. Like my daughter doesn't think I can get more followers. And it's like, look, if you are a teenager somehow listening to this, if you, it's, it's the same thing parents deal with all the time. Whatever we tell you not to do, you're going to do. So same thing here. All right, everyone, I hope, I don't hope, I know you got something out of that episode, whether or not it's just for contact information. We as entrepreneurs, it's, it's super importantly critical to understand some of the legal aspects that no one wants to talk about when it comes to our businesses, uh, when it comes to hiring, when it comes to firing, when it comes to all of it. So definitely, definitely uh, thank you. I want to thank you for, for listening. Last month, our podcast had the best month to date. Uh, and some of that has to do with ratings and reviews. They always, always help. So if you've truly just enjoyed this, got anything, uh, Apple review and rating or Spotify, wherever you listen to, would just be so enormously helpful. I would be incredibly grateful if you took the time to do so. Thank you. We'll see you next week.